0: Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Uh, Matt, I'm a firm believer in singing all the verses of the hymns. Uh, we should try to do all 16 next time. Uh, When I was at Asbury, And Can It Be was kind of the national anthem of Asbury, and uh, we would sing it every first worship service and every last one, and then a few times here and there. Uh, And singing And Can It Be all through, it's like eight to ten minutes long. So I love all the way through hymns. Uh, Good morning, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. I am uh, the main pastor over in the vines. Y'all may not usually see me. I was called up from the bullpen last night, or yesterday. Uh, Clint was planning to preach in here, and then I get a a text at 10.30 yesterday saying, hey, I'm I'm not feeling good. Uh, Looks like you're up for tomorrow, which is only fair, because I did that to him uh, in December, and so he's paying the favor back to me. Uh, So it'll be great today. We are right in the middle of our sermon series called What We Believe, looking at the basics of the Christian faith, the basic core tenets of what it means to be a Christian, and what is our sort of Wesleyan or Methodist flavor that we bring to the Christian faith. How does our uh, Christian tradition uh, flavor of our faith? And so today we're going to be looking at God's plan for redemption— God's plan for redemption. Another way that I like to think about God's plan for redemption is, what is the overarching story that our scriptures tell? What's the overarching story that our scriptures tell, that our faith is all about? What's sort of that common thread that we can see interwoven through the different pages of scripture? And so, uh, last week, y'all talked about scripture, And I didn't get a chance to listen to the sermon because I was called up last minute. But there's 66 books in Scripture, and they were written over thousands of years. And yet, despite many different authors over many different hundreds of years, there's this common theme, there's this common story that's interwoven by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through that text. And so we're going to be talking about that story today. And so, before we get into the plan of redemption, I love this quote by Sandra Richter. If you've ever, I think a number of Sunday school classes have done her book, Epic of Eden. I think she spoke here a few years ago. She's great. If you haven't done Epic of Eden, I would highly recommend it. It's a great uh, tool to learn how to read the Old Testament. In her book, Epic of Eden, she writes this about the central problem of humanity. And I love this quote. She says, throughout all of human history... All we have known about our existence is death. And yet there is something deep inside of us that knows that there is something profoundly wrong with death. I just love that insight that she provides. That's sort of the core problem of being human. When you really fundamentally boil it down to is that we all one day die. That we don't have enough time on this earth to do what we want. That our wealth that we accumulate we can't take with us when we die, that there's this fundamental problem that each and every one of us has, and it's that one day we'll die. And so what is the Christian story behind death, the problem of death, and God's solution? So we're going to start off with the story in the book of Genesis. You can find the story of God, in my opinion, in the first three chapters in Genesis. And so we're going to be focusing on those uh, first three today. But starting off with God's creation, so in the beginning there was nothing, and then God creates, and it says this in Genesis 2, starting in verse 8, that God creates, and before this God had created Adam from the dust of the earth, and it says this in verse 8, now the Lord, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down, down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then skipping down again to verse Uh, 21. So then God creates uh, Eve, Adam's wife, and it says this in verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Ending on a highlight there. Uh, What I love about this creation story is it shows God's original purpose and intention with creation. That God created creation, and it was good, and it was perfect. And I love that ending there in verse 29, that Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. You can interpret that, that they were completely known to one another and they didn't feel any shame in being completely known by one another and being completely known by God. That creation is fundamentally good because it reflects the goodness of the creator who created it. That God, when he creates, he creates and it is good is what he says in the opening chapter of Genesis. And so we we know that when God created something, that this, the world that we live in was not the way that God intended it to be. Because we read here in the opening chapters of Genesis that God created a garden and it was good and perfect. And God gave work to Adam and Eve, work that was fulfilling, work that was not laborious, work that was life-giving. And we see here that God gave Adam everything that he needed. And the Lord was with Adam, and Adam lived in fellowship with God and with his wife. And Adam and Eve are in a state of nakedness because they felt no shame in this state. Nothing to be ashamed of. In the middle of the story, we see that God says that there are two different trees in the garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I kind of take that tree of knowledge to good and evil to mean, uh, it means that we determine what is right in our own eyes. And when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they then become determiners of what is good and evil, what is right in their own eyes. And so we see that God created and how he created it was good and perfect and God gave them this one rule, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, You are not the one who determines what's right and wrong, God is. And so then we see what happens in Genesis 3 with the fall of humanity. So you see, we have to first understand the story of God's plan of redemption of how it once was, how God intended it to be, and then what happened after that, starting in Genesis 3, verse 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, "'The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit to eat, and I ate it.' Then the Lord God said to the woman, "'What is this you have done?' The woman said, "'The serpent deceived me, and I ate it.' So the Lord God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals.'" You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we see here the fall of humanity. Uh, It's where sin and brokenness enters the world. It's, It's how we answer the problem, why is there death? It's how we answer the problem why is there evil in the world? Why is this created world? Why is it broken? Why are there hurricanes? Why are all these natural disasters happening? Why is there so much bad things in this world? And the answer that scripture tells us that's fundamentally sin. That sin and brokenness entered the world. You know, John Wesley, when he reads this and he reflects on it, he says that the root of the fall, when you get down to it, he says, is unbelief or lack of trust in God. And you see that here in those opening verses in Genesis 3, where the serpent says to the woman, Did God really say, sort of sowing that little doubt in her mind, did God really say, did God really say that this is what would happen? And then Eve believes the words of the serpent over the words of the Lord. And don't we do that all the time too? Believe the lies of the world. Believe the lies of the evil one. believe the things that are not of God over choosing to trust God. Because it's a fundamental human problem, isn't it? To believe that we know better than what God does that we are the ones that have the knowledge of good and evil. We are the ones who know what is best in our own eyes, and that we can determine what is best. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. You know, I've mentioned to y'all before the wrestling with my anxiety, and kind of one of the roots of it was me wrestling with the Lord, whether I truly trusted the words of God that I found in Scripture. Sort of like I knew it in my heart, but in, or I knew it in my head, but in my heart, I didn't really trust the words of the Lord. I didn't really believe that he loved me, that he had grace for me, that I didn't truly believe it. It was sort of that, that root cause that we see, the root human problem of, did God really say, did God really say that there is grace for you? Did God really say that there is forgiveness for you? Did God really say, and then just fill in the blank. And so you see Eve, after believing the words of the serpent, it says that she saw the fruit was desirable. She saw the fruit was desirable and trusted the words of Satan over the words of God. So I agree with John Wesley that unbelief or lack of trust in God is what led to our fall. That we chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. And so the results that you see play out in Scripture, the rest of the Old Testament is sort of seeing the effects of the fall, and you immediately see that in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, that the first generation after Adam and Eve is you have a brother killing his other brother over jealousy. And then it's just sort of this spiraling out of control until you get to know we're just... Humanity becomes more and more evil. You see the destructiveness of sin and the pervasiveness of sin in our world and just how all-encompassing sin corrupts our world. Sin separated Adam and Eve from the Lord. The Lord kicks them out of the garden, symbolizing uh, their broken relationship with Him. They no longer walked with the Lord in the cool of the evening, They hid from the Lord in deep shame because sin pushes us to hide from our Creator. What sin does in our lives is it destroys our self-identity. We see that in 3.7 where it says this, Both of their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves and made coverings for them. Uh, John Wesley on his sermon, Image of God, one of my favorite Wesley sermons, he writes about how after the fall, that pre-fall, we, we knew each other so intimately that we sort of knew each other's thoughts, he said, that nothing was hidden from one another. And that after the fall, we, we became distrustful of one another because we didn't fully know one another. And I love that image that they then had to cover themselves with fig leaves. Sin destroys our relationship with God it says in verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That Adam felt he needed to hide from the Lord. Felt ashamed in the presence of God. But that relationship, where you see earlier in Genesis 2 at this intimacy that God and Adam have, where they're talking and Adam's naming all the animals, and Adam and God are just having this really intimate, lovely conversation back and forth, that's no longer their relationship. Their relationship is defined by shame and hiding and fear. So it destroys our relationship with God and destroys our relationship with one another. In 12 and 13, what do Adam and Eve start immediately doing? Blaming one another. At this intimate relationship that they had at the end of chapter 2, where it says that they were naked and felt no shame in each other's presence, that now they're immediately blaming one another over whose fault it is. And you see this sort of spiraling out of control, these effects of sin in our world and in our lives. And it just spirals and spirals and spirals. And the book of Judges is one of the perfect uh, analogies to describe the destructiveness of sin. If you haven't read Judges front to back, usually when we do Judges, we just do the good parts like Gideon and Samson. But if you read Judges starting in verse 1 to verse 21, it's one of the darkest books in Scripture in my mind. And particularly right at the end, uh, in the last three chapters, it's one of the darkest events described in all of Scripture. And after this really dark event, it says this about God's people, God's chosen people, God's elect people. It says this, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit of the devastation of sin, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that they all thought, I am the one who can determine what is good, what is right. You know, it's almost like uh, when God created, he created something that was good and perfect, like this little pot here. And it's all shiny and good. And this isn't, this is hand made manuf- or factory manufactured. This wasn't a hand-done one. But when God makes its hand, it's a masterpiece, as Scripture calls us. And then after the fall, it's almost like we take the masterpiece, we've taken what God created, and we just break it. And we destroy it. And all of our creation, all of God's creation that he created good and perfect, is now just shards of broken pottery. Shards of brokenness. And so the question then becomes, is what is God going to do about it? What is God going to do with all of our brokenness? Is he going to start over from the beginning? Is he going to wash the slate clean and recreate anew? Or is he going to try to fix what is broken? And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that, spoiler alert, God decides to fix what we broke. And God chooses to redeem and fix what we broke. And we see the heart of God, friends, right in the opening pages of Genesis. We see it in God's promise to the woman, or God's curse to the serpent, that says in verse 15, he will crush your head, your offspring and her, between your offspring and hers, and her offspring will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The early Christian fathers saw that being the work of Jesus reflected in those early chapters in Genesis. And then even more so, friends, in verse 21, I love this image. It says this in Genesis 3:21. Uh, the Lord God, this is after the Lord had kicked him out of the garden. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That God makes the first clothes for Adam and Eve using animal skins. Friends, what that means is God made the first sacrifice on Adam and Eve's behalf. That God sacrificed animals for their sin. And then those coverings, those animal skins, literally cover their bodies just as the sacrifice that God does for them uh, covers their sins as well. In the garden, we see the heart of God's grace and God's mercy right there in the middle of as the pot is being shattered, God is immediately gathering all the pieces up in preparation to put it all back together again. The sacrifice covers them, and this is God's plan for redemption, to redeem, to restore. Redemption is one of those uh, bible words that we often throw out but don't really describe. Uh, Redemption was a secular term that was used in those days. Uh, If you read the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is about a a story of redemption. It's a story about a woman, two women named Ruth and Naomi. Ruth, uh, Naomi is the mom, and her husband dies, and she has two sons, and both of those sons die, and her daughter-in-law is Ruth. And so they move off to a foreign land. They're connected from their family. They're connected from their kinsmen. They're disconnected from their clan. And so then in their disconnection, Naomi is in a state of destitution. In those days, a woman with no male relative or no male heir had no rights, no authority, no way of survival. And Naomi is so destitute, she says to her daughter-in-laws, go away and remarry someone else so that they can take care of you and leave me in my desperation. And Ruth says, no, I will commit to you. I will choose to stay with you. And so the rest of the book of Ruth is a story between Ruth and Boaz, who it turns out is a distant a kinsman of her... It's a kinsman of Naomi, a distant relative. And in those days, to bring them back into the clan... The kinsman would redeem or take the woman and take her under her care. And so Boaz goes to Ruth and he redeems Ruth and brings those who were disconnected from the clan, disconnected from the family, and Boaz brings Ruth back into relationship. That Boaz comes and redeems her, that he is the redeemer, that Boaz is that, that kinsman redeemer and he restores her back to family protection back to a place where they can live not only survive but thrive and i love the way the book of ruth ends it says this in ruth 4:13 so boaz took ruth and she became his wife and when he made love to her the lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. A redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Abed. And Abed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. They see the grandfather of King David, or the great-grandfather of King David. That God so loves this redemption story that he engrafts them into the genealogy of Jesus. Now when Scripture talks about God's plan for redemption, it means that we were like Ruth. We were like those who were far off, those who were disconnected from our kinsmen, those who were uh, separated from them, and we have cut ourselves off, and we needed someone to come and rescue us and take us back into the family. And God's plan for redemption is this unfolding in the rest of Scripture. Throughout the Scripture, you read it with this underlying story of God redeeming and fixing and piecing back together the broken pot that we broke. The story of redemption is this scarlet thread woven throughout the Scriptures. When the people of God were farthest from Him, he called out to them and said, I will be your kinsman redeemer. You know, we, we take, we took the pot and we shattered it. That when we sin, we take the creation that God has given us and we just break it. You know, there's this Japanese art form that I love. It's called kintsugi. And I believe it's a great illustration of what God does in our lives. So what they do is when pottery has been broken, whether it's like, Uh, it just got chipped or broken or whatever, what an artist will do is they'll go, instead of just stitching the pot back together with glue, what they'll do is they'll take gold and they'll use the precious metal of gold to stitch it back together. And so the piece that once was broken is now more valuable after the restoration than it was beforehand. And friends, that's what God does in our lives. That God doesn't just stick us back together with glue. God stitches us back together with gold. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. He restores not only to where we once were, but he restores us to better than we were in Eden. Friends, we will be restored better to than we were in Eden. That is God's plan for redemption. Because our God is a good creator, and he immediately starts a process of recreating us. Galatians 3.11, Paul writes this about Jesus. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us. Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might, be, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Friends, God's plan for redemption is not for us to put the broken pieces of our lives back together. It's to let the grace of God do it for us. That God is our Redeemer who stitches us back together with gold. And so are we relying on our own works or are we relying on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I love this sort of dual image that we see in Genesis. That Adam and Eve, when they sin, what do they do? They take fig leaves and they sew them together and they put them on themselves and they're like, this is good enough. And friends, don't we do that in our lives all the time? We try to put fig leaves on our own lives and say, this is good enough. This is good clothing for me. And God wants to do it, says, I have given the perfect sacrifice and let me clothe you with that. Don't try to sow your own fig leaves. Let me clothe you. Let me clothe you with my grace, with my righteousness. Friends, we can't redeem ourselves. We have to be redeemed by a God who loves us and cares for us. You know, I I tend to put a lot of really harsh expectations on myself uh, that I have to be perfect, that I have to uh, be perfect in my job, perfect in my personal life. And if I I sort of fail on my standard of perfection, uh, then I'm usually really, really harsh on myself. And it came to a head kind of this past week, and me and Erica were praying about it. And I just got this overwhelming sense that these expectations that I've put on myself is just another form of pride that if I can live up to my own standards, if I can sort of have good enough fig leaves on myself, then everything will be fine. I felt the call of God this past week to, Jeremy, clothe yourself in my grace, my grace which is sufficient for you, my grace that redeems you, my grace that desires to lift you up. Friends, this story that we see in Genesis is a foretaste of Jesus, where God sends his only son on our behalf to make us right with him. You know, we quote John 3.16 a lot, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I actually like John 3.17 better, which says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him friends we have been saved by a good god who wants to stitch us back together with gold so we can spend forever with him in love and grace and mercy amen